0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 89, Plugging a Leak. Not my most cleverest title. Um, primarily, uh, it's kind of a big C, I told you so. Uh, if I sound, if I seem a little out of it, I had a little bit of a late night and then a long day today getting twisted and prodded and, uh, I have a, I have a hurt knee at the moment. So, I'm gonna try to focus. Um, we have the Department of Energy report that believes that COVID-19 now came from a laboratory leak. And, uh, of course, the people that once said that this was a debunked conspiracy theory, uh, I have yet to actually see anyone go back on it. Any journalist or so-called expert, virologist, any of them. And uh, I'm going to run down a couple of here. Uh, famous ones. Michael Gordon, author Degrade and Destroy, or correspondent, national uh, former Wall Street correspondent. He says, the energy department now says COVID pandemic most likely arose from a Chinese lab leak. And of course, this will goes all the way back to Tom Cotton, uh, who was the first person to kind of get out and s- not suggest, but just ask the question, okay, did this come from a lab? Was this a possible bioweapon? And when he said that, uh, their, their hair all went on fire. And I wanna get back to that in a moment. Uh, we also had, of course, people, everyone from Donald Trump to Joe Rogan kind of jump onto this, where Trump had said he'd actually seen intelligence, and he was, of course, ripped apart by Nicole Wallace and MSNBC for that. We also, of course, have approve of Mondavali with the uh, the the best one, have you, saying someday we will stop talking about the lab leak theory and maybe even admit its racist roots. But alas, that day is not yet here. She's the self, health and science reporter for the New York Times tweeting that. We have the editor in chief of the Scientific American on CNN, former CDC director Robert Redfield, shared the conspiracy theory that the virus came from the Wuhan lab. Epidemiologists and biologists are all doing heroic and urgent work on social media, debunking everything he said. So thanks so much to them. Uh, you also have uh, Julie of Toronto at on Vox, in a public health crisis, conspiracy theories are a distraction. It's a collective responsibility to stay focused on keeping each other safe. And no, coronavirus did not start in a Chinese lab. Those are just a few. You obviously have uh, Glenn Kessler uh, of the Washington Post famously trying to dunk on Ted Cruz. And I think what part of this comes is it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to have different ideas or different theories, but it's the fucking smugness of these people that uh, they were absolutely right in all of this, and every one of their critics was absolutely wrong, and considering most of their critics are on the political right, uh, you're not going to see much of a, uh, shall we say, come to Jesus moment on on any of this. Uh, I want to go a little bit into how they've shifted the goalposts a bit, and they're doing it very much the same way they did with the lab leak, which is suggesting that the very idea that uh, COVID-19 could have been a possible... A uh, bioweapon in training or a virus being manipulated for that purpose is beyond the realm of possibility. And uh, they're doing this the same way they said that the lab leak was beyond the realm of possibility. When, in fact, we don't know uh, what how COVID-19 was developed, why it was being developed, why it was being studied, why it was being manipulated, why they were screwing around with protein spikes, in a laboratory in China where we had no knowledge of what was going on once those doors closed and we were funding it. And so um, give me one second. I want to pull up a link here because I talked a bit about this and there's almost like this fear out there to to suggest even that this could have been a bioweapon of some sort. And they're basically doing the exact same thing. Tommy Vitor, the Obama campaign van driver turned a podcast host, They've already shifted the goalposts to suggest several of them have Jill Filipovic and others have said the reason we couldn't talk about the lab leak theory is because several of you suggested it might have been a bioweapon. And that just clouded the conversation. And uh, I guess my position is I don't know what the purpose of developing this virus was, but to completely rule out that a hostile foreign government would be doing this kind of research uh, would be get you to forget that our own government does this kind of research. Uh, Anthony Fauci in 2012 testified in front of a Senate panel uh, about the need for dual use of concern research. Dual use of concern is similar to gain of function. Uh, of concern means that they are developed, they are doing this kind of research in conjunction with the Department of Defense. Um, why the Department of Events is looking at uh, coronaviruses is another one. They will argue it's for research and... Uh, purposes, But when you're the Department of the Defense looking at how to develop viruses, you have to assume that, hey, we're, you know, there's other countries in the world that are doing this exact same work. Tommy Vito, the van driver, says, I think this is right. And also their arguments early on that COVID is a Chinese bioweapon, which were and remain ridiculous. And of course, that's where I would say to him, why is that notion ridiculous? And they're basically trying to now rewrite that whole thing without saying why okay, just explain to me why you think it's ridiculous that China might be developing bioweapons. Um, you then get into the, the aspect of, was this a leak, or did they release it on purpose? I lean toward probably a leak, but I don't know. Um, I certainly don't trust them, and I don't trust the World Health Organization to conduct a fair investigation, who is basically owned top to bottom by the government of China. And so the other, the other aspect of this I find interesting, and I've touched on this, is the complete lack of curiosity from the current president and his party. When Joe Biden took office, uh, largely elected because of Trump's pandemic response, um, besides obviously the, the warp speed, which was a great accomplishment, despite how you feel about the vaccine, when Joe Biden came into office, there was no curiosity about getting to the bottom of this. Uh, he just came in and he issued executive orders and now he's basically only using the pandemic to continue to do so. Uh, his party did not hold hearings on the origins of COVID. When they just came in with the majorities, they just said, eh, that's it. And I guess we're all just gonna move on with our lives. And that should be kind of telling when the government of China donates over $54 million to Joe Biden's own think tank, or Joe Biden lets a Chinese spy balloon hover over the country for eight days and then brag only about shooting it down once it's kind of completed its mission. Obviously, Joe Biden's family has strong ties to Chinese energy companies, including his son, and this should all be concerning. And so when Joe Biden comes into office and says, oh, I don't really care if we're, how we're going to get to the bottom of this, um, he should care. And I, start, and I think now because of the Republican Party now in charge of the House, you're going to now start to see... Uh, committees being held about the origins of where this came from exactly, and that's most likely going to include testimony from Anthony Fauci, who to this day remains steadfast ardent that this was a zoonotic origin. Um, But the bioweapon thing is interesting to me. I'm not saying it is. Uh, I'm suggesting that if you don't think that China is doing this kind of work, uh, you're extremely naive or you're dishonest or you're in their pocket, and it's probably a mixture of all of those things. So. That's where we are on that front. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. If uh, I just throw that grenade into the room. Um, The other thing we have coming up is the media is beginning to uh, start their funeral pyre over two Supreme Court rulings that look like they're not gonna go their way. And if you've seen uh, the reports and you kind of see them already setting up narratives about um, Joe Biden's student debt executive order, which is unconstitutional, and that looks like that one's gonna go down And they're already preparing people to say, we're gonna blame the Supreme Court for this. When Joe Biden fully knew well, he didn't have the power to do this as well. Nancy Pelosi said he didn't have the power to do this. The other one is uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which was also unconstitutional. The funding mechanism behind that, which was the brainchild of Chief Warren, looks like that that's gonna be uh, kicked out as well. And this is a bureau that was never constitutionally funded in the first place. They just created it out of whole cloth, and they just said, hey, we're just going to do this, and we're going to go along with it. It was done under the Obama administration. Both MSNBC and CNN are already having conniption fits over this. CNN says the fate of Biden's student loan forgiveness program that would impact scores of borrowers from wide array of colleges and socioeconomic backgrounds lies in the hands of nine relatively wealthy people who graduated from a short list of elite private schools. MSNBC on Elizabeth Warren, the Supreme Court will hear a case that could help Republicans kneecap federal agencies, including the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, brainchild of Senator Elizabeth Warren. And as Charles Cook from National Review duly noted, if you have a legal case to make, you make it. And if you don't have a legal case, you go in and you say Republicans are going to take away uh, the student debt order, which is what they're doing. So get ready for those to come down. I've been kind of thumping it for years. That the next step to come, both from the political left and the judicious left and uh, the activist left, is ignoring Supreme Court rulings. If they can't pack the court, which they can't, that is, of course, the next natural step. And those of you who have been reading me know that I've been on this hobby horse, if you will, for several years. The student debt executive order is primed for that kind of reaction. Maybe they—it's not so much Biden administration will ignore it. They already have a website set up. So if the Biden administration just says, "All right, well, we're just going to—we're going to go ahead and do it anyway," you're coming down a path that uh, is not going to be very good for our institutions in our country in about five to ten years, if even that. Uh, you've already seen kind of fringe writers of the political left, Ian Millhiser and a few others, suggest to just ignore Supreme Court orders when. The Supreme Court overturns Biden's student debt executive order, and they most certainly will. You're going to see that idea hit the mainstream. And when I say mainstream, I mean people like Joy Reid on her cable show, outlets like The Atlantic, and outlets like The New York Times. Uh, I'm willing to lay a marker down on that. So those are a few topics. Uh, I'm willing to talk about anything you guys want. Uh, As I said, I'm I'm, I'm a little bit in a little bit of goofy pain, but uh, as I wrote on Substack, there's no... I didn't sprain an ACL or MCL or anything like that. Everything's intact. It's just sore. And I just kind of have to uh, be gentle on it for a few days. So I wasn't even given like any really good drugs. So it's just, it's sore and I'm getting older, uh, but it was worth it uh, because I ended up scoring a goal. And then the goalie uh, decided on a nut, on a play later when I was coming down on him again to just kind of throw his arms up and take me out completely. <laughs> He ended up with a game misconduct, which a goalie in hockey doesn't get a game misconduct. Someone on the bench leaves the ice, so I'm fine with that. Uh, we didn't win the game, uh, but uh, at least it's uh, at least to know my knee is still intact. Even if, as I said, I reach my Jake Taylor years. Uh, we have a good queue going. I think we can get through everyone. We'll go for about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, usual ground rules, just make sure if you're not speaking and you're, and you're on the calling queue to just uh, keep your microphone muted. Uh, it just makes it easier for me to focus. It makes it easier for people in the in the audience listening and it makes it for just a cleaner recording. And also just be mindful that there might be people behind you in the queue. And uh, I know it doesn't always go fast. Uh, it's conversational, but uh, just kind of try to keep that in mind. And so we're not uh, lulling people to sleep or getting them kicked out of the room. So With that, welcome to episode 89, we're talking bioweapons, we're talking Chinese viruses, China virus, uh, and we're talking Supreme Court rulings or anything else you want, then go ahead. Hey, Steven, Uh, I
1: want to go ahead and apologize if you hear a basset hound howling in the background. Uh, Apologize for that. Um,
0: Yeah, we don't tolerate background noises from dogs in this dojo, come on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cheers to Furiosa.
1: I don't really have any thoughts on the uh Chernobyl I mean uh COVID outbreak in uh China. I, all I, my my only thoughts on it are cheers to Tom Cotton for being our next Secretary of State. Um good for him. And uh but I wanted to see I have another like last time I talked I had an online thing. This is another one.
0: I, um, I don't know if he stayed, was, although I wouldn't mind that you could certainly have him uh as secretary of DOD, which I would be even happy He's an easy Senate seat to replace.
1: I'll say that. Um, Arkansas is, you're not going to, unless Roy Moore moves to Arkansas, you're not going to lose that race, um, which is all that matters. But uh, Hogwarts, the video game continues to be in people's mind. I don't know if you know about the YouTube channel. It's a cooking show called Binging with Babish. It's a cooking show where he does, like, recipes from movies and games and TV shows. And he – I don't really know where he is politically. I'll say this. He had a joke when he was doing a beignet recipe that he said you should coat these beignets with powdered sugar liberally. I'm, t- I'm talking AOC liberal. And he's been photographed at a shooting range in AR-15 before. So I don't know where he is. But he used Hogwarts Legacy as a uh, sponsor. For one of his videos. And when I tell you people lost their minds, that would be putting it lightly. We also heard stories of a streamer who was uh, so bullied by trans activists that she broke down in tears during uh, a live stream of it. And in response, um, Babish, or Andrew Ray, his name, has done the thing you have advised. There's, among, um, uh, there's a lot of other people advised, is you just don't respond. Um, he's ignored it. He has just powered on and not responded to it. He's uploaded like two more videos since uh, Hogwarts was not the sponsor, but I, I think truthfully when it comes to quote unquote normal people, I don't think cancel culture counts for JK Rowling. JK Rowling has fuck you money. She's going to be fine. Um, cancel culture is about pe- normal people, relatively normal people, like, the, bull, like the, uh, the, the clown guy or the forklift driver who gets fired for something. But for famous people, the answer so far has been, just don't respond. And I think people are catching on to that, especially with Hogwarts, this game, people's response to it. Just wanted to see what your thoughts on
0: that were. So I'm, I'm not familiar with him, but I pulled up Daily Dot. It said, Binging McBabbish, YouTuber under fire for Hogwarts Legacy sponsored content. Writers woman in Gavia Baker, White Law, speaking of Hogwarts names. <laughs> It says, associating yourself with Hogwarts Legacy is a dicey proposition following boycotts and backlash aimed at Twitch streamers who chose to play and therefore promote the game on their channels. Beloved YouTube, You Britain Jing Babish is under fire for posting a Hogwarts Legacy-sponsored video. Um, and it goes into a little bit of this. And the piece cites two tweets. And I'm going to pull these guys up because I'm going to see if they're important or not. Oh, I'm blocked by one. Um, let's see, AC Danvers is uh, looks like they have a furry avatar, a furry header. Good for them. Uh, the other one is uh, Matthew Cortland. Let me see if I'm blocked by him. I'm not. 55,000 followers. Uh, senior fellow, Data progress. And so he says, why did you decide to use that enormous platform to support such vile hate? Do you not have enough money as it is? And you're right. I don't see anything where he's responding to this. And, I mean... To me, the numbers for this speak for themselves. This is what it's catching up to Elden Ring is one of the highest selling video games in history for as fast as it was. I think it was Sonny Bunch of uh, Bulwark and formerly Free Beacon that noted that it's already sold more. It's it's made more money than the combined of the Fantastic Beasts spinoff films. It made more than Red Dead of Redemption. Yeah. I mean, so... Why? A lot of this is noise that people aren't paying attention to, and I guess if you're, if you're in social media and if you're in, you know, if you're if you're not glued to it like I have to be, or if you're not really just paying attention to this, and if you're just buying your 13 year old the stupid Harry Potter video game, you're not going to hear a lot of this noise. And so that to me is what that says. It says that these people are not just, they're just not being listened to, and maybe that's a new phenomenon. Maybe it isn't. Um, or maybe they've always had outweighed opinions on things like this. And we just have been giving them uh, more oxygen than they actually have or need. And so I, I guess that's how I look at it. And the, 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 the response is right. You don't usually respond to shit like this. Now, if you've been paying attention to me over the last week, um, there's times when I do think a, a, a response is warranted. For instance, Um, And you can argue, you know, if you're being accused of promoting trans or you're accused of being anti-trans, you can argue that being accused of being an anti-Semite is along those lines, although I would argue it's a little bit worse. And we saw this account, uh, Twitter account called Stop Anti-Semitism, come after me for a joke about creating a national holiday where you just are mildly annoyed at things. And this account continued to be in my mentions for about a week until I threatened to just blow it up completely. I'm like, first I ignored you, now I'm being polite, and now I'm basically going to nuke you off the fucking face of the earth if you continue to do this. And they've since been corrected, um, even by several contacts of mine and, you know, fellow writers and friends that are Jewish, and they still kept doing it. And I have I have yet since heard from them um, over that. So... It depends. I think that when you say just ignore it, I think it depends on who it is, how much influence they have, um, how much influence you you know they might have in media. The Daily Dot is not an influential w- uh, website. This was the first website that came up when uh, while you were describing this that I just searched, and I'll just see if this is catching on anywhere else. As my internet is being uh, completely retarded at the moment, let's um, just. Do this. Uh, give me one second. Um, I just want to. I want to see the the. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's uh, that's it. Daily Dot is pretty much it. So I don't know. They say he's influential, so he's probably has more influence than say Daily Dot does. And that's it. I don't see Washington Post. I don't see mainstream outlets. So again probably by ignoring this, those those outlets aren't going to catch on to it. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way to go here. Just keep going, plow through it. Um, I don't think that the majority of people playing uh, Hogwarts or that have seen Harry Potter believe what a small, very vocal. Yeah, I
1: mean, the truth is just if you see a furry account, just generally just think the opposite <laughs> yeah, of what they do. Yeah, just keep
0: moving. Um, just keep walking. Just keep moving.
1: Um, that's really just my thoughts. I'll move on. But uh just uh, want to get your thoughts on this. I'm glad my St. Louis Blues are blowing it up. Uh, the team got old. We're going to win with this crowd. Get your first round picks and you never, ever want to become the Blackhawks.
0: Yeah, I mean, you guys got your cup. Um yeah, you, you stay tough, tough right, for a while, and that's, you know, pretty much the way to look at it. But, yeah, you, you certainly – you're going to be left um, with a few young kids, minor prospects, rookies, and uh, Craig Biddington slamming his stick against the goalpost, yeah. and that's about it. I think we had a shot with the COVID season,
1: which was ended that year. That was kind of our last shot to do anything. But I, I would much rather rebuild, get some good prospects than have a – 10 years of mediocrity while Robert O'Reilly is graying on the or Robert O'Reilly's graying on the ice so I'm glad they blew it up it was time yeah
0: I'm glad they did too if I'm being honest with you
2: well well I know why you
0: thanks Opie alright thanks man uh, Chinese virus bio weapons so go ahead fire away.
3: oh yeah well the um, you know the Over the years, the term conspiracy theory has sort of lost all relationship to the notion of of what it uh, originated from, which was, you know, creating the idea that a network of people was behind an event that had many, many other explanations. But now it has become ultimately synonymous with idea I don't believe. And or or idea
0: I disagree with. with.
3: Oh, or I d- idea I disagree with. If you recall, maybe from a couple months ago, large controversy uh, spread over uh, remarks Sam Harris made on a podcast um, uh, called Trigonometry. And that was the uh, that the one clip from that show that created a lot of buzz was him saying that um, he didn't care if Hunter Biden had the dead bodies of children in his basement, uh, photographs of that on his laptop and whatnot. But uh, another comment he made uh, after that fact was discussing the media's uh, cover up of the hunter biden laptop story and and went down this this path of of saying you know it was absolutely a conspiracy to to block that out but it was good that it happened and then when challenged on that he started to revert uh, back logically saying that it really wasn't a conspiracy despite people conspiring to do it because the purpose was good that the the goal was was something good we had to prevent donald trump from uh, you know, winning, winning a second term. And, and when you, when you get down to the brass tacks, the fact that people were conspiring to do something is no longer part of what makes something a conspiracy theory. It is, it is literally just an idea I don't like, or an idea I disagree with. And so when it came to the lab leak situation, um, you know, uh, Brett Weinstein is a, a good friend of mine and he's been basically, uh, pummeled, uh, time and time again, as being one of these conspiracy theorists, because he posited, you know, sometime in 2020 that that the you know lab leak theory had had um, legs, and that was that was around the time where it started to gain traction, and uh, you know that actually was something that could get you one of those warning stickers on Twitter, where you know the the officials of Twitter t- you know told people that you were a conspiracy theorist Facebook and banned accounts over it. There, yeah. Yeah. And, and you, know, go, you know, it's only a couple of years ago, but people have to remember the environment. Pe- people were literally, you know, not able to leave their homes and go places. So the only thing that was providing us our information were computer screens and television screens. You know, it, the people in your house did not have any different information about the outside world than you did. And people were not congregating at, at you know, regular social clubs to to share information. So you, they had full control over what was allowed to, to come out. And so it was a perfect opportunity for them to create the atmosphere that anyone who was articulating uh, certain avenues of thought was a crazy person who shouldn't be listened to, dangerous, and 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 was was you know shouldn't even be on social media. They're they're one sort one outlet of communication, and the the fact that now it doesn't even have to have new information attached. We just have to have a newspaper release an article saying that a government agency has made a claim. Now all of a sudden, it's a legitimate sort of avenue of thought. No, nothing technically has changed with the details necessarily. It, it's the same argument and same data that we've been arguing about for maybe a year's time. I don't think anything particularly new has come out recently. But now just because a few extra people have made the claim, it's now sane to think it. And that's, that's just shows you the dynamic that, that they want to protect. They just want to protect that, that only certain people are allowed to tell people what the um, allowable course of thought is. In, in the landscape, so that they can control what you can say with yeah, it. Yeah, it. it's
0: interesting that you had the Department of Energy doing it, and now tonight you had Chris Ray on Brett Bayer. Brett Bayer asked him directly, and his response was, "Quote: The FBI has, for quite some time now, assessed that the origins of pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan." So this is this is interesting to me, timing-wise, um, and I don't know. I've seen people suggest that this is because of China's ramped up interest in Ukraine and now this is kind of a government offensive against China to warn them and say, hey, if you get involved in Ukraine any more than you already are, this is a way we're going to use the COVID-19 as a way of sanctioning you, which beyond Ukraine, I, they should have done anyway. Um, and so when I start to see this kind of information flood kind of come into the zone, my first question is, okay, why is this happening now? And then what are we going to do about it? And so it's interesting to watch the goalpost when it goes, Lad Lake theory is completely preposterous. And you saw it even like, I thought it was interesting that the first time where our media somewhat accepted this theory was Jon Stewart uh, on Colbert. And then last night Colbert basically told the department of energy to stay in their lane. That's right. A comedian is telling bioethicists uh, who work in the Department of Energy. This wasn't like, you know, uh, CDOT workers here. This was a Department of Energy in conjunction with some laboratories and uh, bioethicists and virologists who came together and they looked at everything. They went, yeah, okay. We, We think even with low level of confidence that it's at least in theory possible, even likely that this leaked from a laboratory. And what's interesting is now they've moved to, to recommend that this was some sort of bioweapon is ridiculous. They just, they, they walk right into the fucking bear trap again and without stopping to go, okay, explain to me. And a lot of these people have figured out on Twitter, you don't have to talk back anymore. So when somebody like Tommy Vitor, excuse me, uh, when somebody like Tommy Vitor says it's preposterous that this is to suggest that this is a bioweapon, you go, why is that preposterous? Explain to me in detail, Why do you think that that's at least not a possibility? And then I would say, explain in detail why you think that China wouldn't maybe just release this thing on purpose or at least test run it. And let's say that it did. Let's say that this was an accident. Uh, Let's say, you know, the janitor just went home and, you know, snacked on a pangolin or whatever. And that was patient number one. And then it spread starting in September 2019. And it spreads and spreads and spreads. Goes throughout the world. Do you not think that the Chinese officials right there start going, okay? let's watch people's reaction to this. Let's see what the United States does. Um, Let's lock down. Let's let's tell the World Health Organization to go to hell when they want to come in here and and investigate our uh, institutes and our viral research. They catalog every single response that we have. And this idea that we're not even going to sanction them. I don't think the U.N. has even held uh, hearings on this pandemic and said, regardless if it was on purpose or not, you fucking people still did this. Okay. No, I don't mean Chinese people. I mean the government of China, the CCP. And so even if it's not intentional, you you guys still killed about 16 million people worldwide. And there's going to be consequences for that. We haven't heard any of that. China has faced no consequences for this. And now they're getting emboldened in Ukraine and they're still threatening to take over Taiwan. And so that is always interesting to me. That the idea that you don't think that this could have been a—they were—they were, deve- they were de- screwing with protein spikes uh, to develop a a contagious virus that affects the uh, respiratory system of people, like a pneumatic virus that is just a little bit worse, and then that somehow gets out, and then you're going to sit there and tell me it's preposterous—one that it's a bioweapon, or two, maybe they did it on purpose. I don't understand this knee-jerk reaction to rush and give China the benefit of the doubt, but here is one political party still doing it, and we have a president whose family is indebted to the, you know, to the CCP for millions of dollars, and then you have uh, current uh, house reps playing doctor and, you know, hide the stethoscope with Chinese honeypots, and so all of this, to me, raises suspicions, and no, it's not It's not that you're leveling them, say, how our media levels, every question about Ukraine support as pro-Putin. So I'm not suggesting that. But the idea that we had just let them get away with this just scot-free, like whatever, um, has always been interesting to me and how you still have a media complex that continues to give China the benefit of the doubt, primarily because they have millions of dollars of their own money invested into the Chinese market. And that really has a lot to do with that. So.
3: yeah, I I the the other the other thing is that they in the broader context not just with this subject in general they they want to maintain the ability to um be as uh conspiratorially minded as they wish. Uh you know, at the beginning of the Trump administration when they started that um the the Russia talk, you know, that Russia had you know conspired or colluded with the Trump administration to to gain the election to to hack John Podesta's emails to hack the DNC, uh, you know, with the Guccifer, um the Guccifer hack and the releases of all those emails, they they would tell you, I it was, remember it was on CNN and it was, uh, it was Cuomo, he told, he told the viewers that, you know, it would be illegal for them to read any of any of these leaked These leaked emails from podesta they they had to come to you know uh, journalists to get that information then then you know um evelyn farkas went on cnn and told told this this story about how she had run to to members on the hill to try to get her friends in the in the um in the cia to to get the information they had the what they knew how we knew what we knew what trump was doing with russia and and uh when she was being questioned by the senate in the background she said that she had absolutely no knowledge in you know inside knowledge of any of these this details she was just kind of like Speaking off the top of her head on CNN, they love to control the ability to push whatever narratives they want, no, however remote, however uh, disconnected they are from actual facts. But when as soon as you want to talk about a possibility, a very good possibility that a level four bio, biological uh, research lab had an accident in the same location where the first cases appeared. You know, you you might want to say, hey, that's something we should look into. But they demand that you prove it first before you're allowed to talk about it or else you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. And and while they
0: push something that we we don't have evidence of there either. So if if you want to argue the zoonotic origin, which is this was a virus that was potent and it just made the leap from bats or wet market animals and contaminated food and then it made the leap into humans. There's no evidence of this either. There's there's zero evidence of this because China sprayed down all the wet markets. They sprayed down like a five mile radius around this institute. And they also blacked out communications uh, for, you know, I think it was like, what, two months in starting in September, November, December, uh, they blocked out cell phone signals around this institute. And so that's when you look at it and you go, okay, so what were they doing and what were they hiding and why won't they tell us? And there's zero evidence of a zoonotic origin. And you, you touched on something real fast, and I want to move on to Samuel, but you touched on something where I think most of this comes from, which is the media had a knee-jerk reaction to position themselves against whatever Donald Trump said. Whatever he says, we're on the opposite side of it, no matter what he says. And that's how you get that's how you get Russia, and that's how you get when Trump comes out and he says, you know, me and Pompeo have seen evidence to suggest that this possibly did come from a laboratory. The media just automatically goes, boom, that's a conspiracy theory without even saying, hey, let's see if there's something to this, because they just believe everything Donald Trump says is not only wrong, but malicious. And let's face it, a lot of things that he says are a lot of bullshit that he says is. But when the sitting president comes out and he says, I've seen intel that suggests this, I'm telling you, you know, that this theory is out there. And I can tell you that I think that there's probably something to it. The media just automatically positions themselves against that. And then they go and then they have people like Stephen Colbert and all of their little guys in late night TV. And then they all automatically position themselves to the media. And like I said, that it it was so telling that it was Jon Stewart, the guy who they all wanted to be, was the first guy to come out and go, "Uh, of course, it came out of a lab. Are you crazy? And that's when it kind of went, oh, shit, maybe we should consider this. And that, to me, sums up just the perfect state of our media and our culture, that when it's intelligence officials or when it's Tom Cotton, where he has said that, he said, you know, I see I seen intelligence suggest that this could have been from a lab. It could have been a bioweapon. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, don't you dare, sir. As opposed to saying, where are you getting this from? Um, and maybe Cotton then goes and talks to the Washington Post or they leak intel. They did that all with Russia. They ran with anonymous sources, usually single anonymous sources uh, to propagate this whole thing about Russia for years and years and years. But when it came to the very suggestion that this is something that, you know, the CCP uh, was engineering on purpose and possibly leaked on purpose, that became just out of the realm of possibility. And you're still seeing that. So real quick, I'll let you wrap up.
3: No, nope, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I'll let you, I'll let you go. Let the rest of the queue go in. I hope your, your leg heals and uh, you can show up to work on time tomorrow. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'll be, I'll be here tomorrow. I just was like, I woke up, I got home and I was like, Oh, that doesn't feel well. And I woke up this morning and it just felt heavy and throbbing. And I'm just like, I need to go get this looked at. And uh, it was just throughout most of the day, just getting tests run on it. And everything. I'm just, you know, getting it twisted and felt out. And, um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll be at work tomorrow. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> Uh, real fast. I was going to, uh, Brady was back there. I was going to bump him up,
4: but. Yeah. So, uh, this isn't what I was going to talk about, but I just came up in my email. So I thought it was relevant. Uh, the Biden admin just blasted out an email about the student debt relief. And basically, um, they're still pushing the lie that they have a really good chance of winning in the Supreme Court. So they're really just trying to gin everyone up to be outraged whenever you get a six to three slam hammer coming down from Thomas
0: or Alito in a couple months. Like it's just ridiculous. Yeah, they're ginning they're 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 make they're, you know, they're getting the, the natives to be restless on this and they want protests. And they, you know, the obvious goal is to weaken, you know, the authority of the Supreme Court. So that's when I go ask why they're trying to do that. And like I said, this is, to me is the first prime case of let's see if the suggestion to just ignore their ruling goes mainstream. And I think.
4: Yeah, that uh, that video of Randy Weingarten is just pure gold. It's just beautiful to watch. I hate her so much, but it's just like it. it it's like sometimes your enemies just give you exactly what you want. Like if you were like, if you're against teachers unions, is there anything more you could ask for than this crazy lady screaming in front of the Supreme court? Like she just like lost her kid or something. She doesn't like, have kids I don't know. by the way. Oh yeah. I know but that's a, fun, that's a different topic.
0: But, yeah, yeah, I watched but, this video of Wine Garden and you're absolutely right. That to me is you just, there's your ad. Don't even don't even put music behind it. Don't, you know, don't put I'm so-and-so and then I endorse. Just, just cut an ad of that and put your, you know, your pack behind it or whatever and put it out there and make sure. Yeah, amen. So the one, uh, my kind of topic
4: is just, to me, it's getting a little bit weird that Biden hasn't announced his reelection yet. His wife and did. We've heard from her. Yeah, and then he, he basically called her a stupid bitch whenever they asked him about it. He's just like, oh.
0: But well, like, what, what was funny is, is because we remember that interview where he just kind of shut down mid interview. I think he was talking to Jonathan Capehart. And Jonathan Capehart goes, oh, oh, when like, Biden comes oh, when back to asleep. Earth. And he said, uh, you know, he said, it's, it's my intention, but we haven't made up our mind. And he said, and the First Lady, and that's when Biden just went to la-la land for a moment, came back to Earth, and he said she thinks we're doing important work. And that was the only answer he gave. And then um, he has not yet given a definitive answer, but uh, you saw, what was it, Jill Biden talking to AP, and she got offended at the notion. She said, how many times do we have to tell you? that it looks like he's going to run. We just need a time and place. Well, you need to tell us again because you haven't told us at all. So she's getting offended at this notion that, yes, he's running. We've told you he's running. And I'm thinking, why are we hearing from you on this? Um, You know, the Bill Burr thing, like, go do some first lady shit, okay? Um, We need to be hearing from Biden on this. But, of course, Biden is a part-time president that works three days a week, and he stops for three minutes of questions with the helicopter going out of those Yeah,
4: it's just getting weird. And I don't know if there's internal strife or what, because like, okay, and I saw someone the other day, they were saying, you know, well, Obama didn't announce until April. And that's correct. He didn't announce he was actually running for re-election until April of that year. The problem with that is that Joe Biden is not Barack Obama, not only because he's a shittier politician, but also because nobody wants him to run again. Nobody was seriously considering... Obama not run again, except for Bernie, who wanted to primary him. But everyone else was all on board with Obama running again. The same is not for Biden. So my one theory, and it's, you know, a little bit tinfoil hat, but just, and I think strategically, it makes sense. If Biden was to bow out, if he was to actually say, I'm not running again, he has to endorse Kamala. There's no if, and, or buts there. He absolutely has to. You can't endorse someone who's not in the White House with you. So I'm wondering, is he putting off his announcement one way or the other to freeze the field? So if he were to say, hey, I'm not running again, it's already so late in the process that Kamala would already be up and running, whereas Newsom, Pritzker, all these other freaking Looney Tunes wouldn't actually be able to get in because it'd be too late in the process to start firing up the donor banks and everything. So it just makes me wonder, is there actually a decision that's been made? And that's my other part of the theory is if Biden is going to run, is he going to do it around the time where they officially end the pandemic emergency? Is that going to be kind of his uh, victory lap where he's going to say, we beat the pandemic and now we're coming for four more years to truly build off the death of the pandemic or something like that. Like, that's the only thing I can think of, but like may is so late to be announcing. It's just weird.
0: Yeah. I would say, I mean, I, I, right now, it looks to me like they're at least galvanizing around him to run. Obviously we have auntie Marianne who has decided that she's going to jump in a primary. That doesn't do any favors to any serious people, although I contend I'm going to I'm going to campaign for her as much as possible. I love her. <laughs> um, but that doesn't do much for any serious contenders. So if like let's say you're Newsom, for instance, and you want a primary, you're going to be looked at side by side with Marianne Williamson. And nobody wants that. It, not a serious contender. So it looks to me like there is some galvanization around Biden. Um I agree that it is that there is this wishy-washiness happening right now. And I would agree that it feels like there's some uncertainty around it, no matter how much Joe Biden acts offended or Joe says, you know, we're thinking, we're planning on it. We're, You know, his words are very interesting. He says, it's my intentions, we're planning on whatever. And I also think if I'm going to be honest, I think that Biden is going to wait to see what ron desantis does and by all accounts it sounds like desantis is going to announce in may and he's going to look at polling because i think biden looks at polling with trump and says well if trump's going to get the nominee i need to stay in the race and beat him if he sees that it's going to be somebody else i think that that might weigh on his decision a bit um if you're entwined in the interwebs and especially when i follow a ton of you know uh Democratic activists and stuff like that, they're not on board with him for a second term. And so, you know, is he going to get a real primary challenge? Maybe. We've seen them hinted at that. Uh, we saw Mark Bay say, I'm, I'm for a robust primary season. And that got my ears to perk up a bit. Um, and so I don't know. I, I think he is going to run. I think he thinks that he can do it. Um, he's already a part time president. He spent 40 percent of his presidency on vacation. That's per Mark Noller of CBS News, um, who tracks things like this. He is he is a three day a week president, and he's probably a half day of each of those days working and being present for meetings, security briefings. And then he's done by 1 p.m. So I think that they think they can kind of fetterman their way through this. And. Just, hey, if he dies, he fucking dies, and then we got Kamala or whatever. Uh, If he does not run, you're absolutely right that he has to endorse Kamala Harris. And uh, you'll see Jim Clyburn throw the Congressional Black Caucus around her, uh, behind her, which means that staves off any real competition. The problem is they know Kamala's internals are horrifying. Kamala Harris probably loses to Trump, and they all see that, and they all know that, and... So that's, I mean, Joe Biden fucked his party and they kind of fucked their own party by running him at 79 years old or whatever. But already you're starting to see the articles Morning Joe, for instance, Biden is not too old. How dare you? Those are gonna be fun to dig up with John McCain from 2008 when, you know, John McCain died at the age that Biden is right now. And all the articles about how old McCain is and will his health come into play. And we're we're gonna dig up, all of those, because that's what they're going to start to hedge it as. Biden's fine. What you're seeing is uh, ableism, his scutter, Like, no, he's fine. He really is. When I don't think even his party wants him there. He picked Kamala Harris because he thought he had to and because he needed the black female senator who was a safe, you know, a, and a safe seat that they could replace her with. And he has absolutely screwed his party over because they don't have any good options. The press wants Buttigieg, uh, but they got a lesson in his preparedness this week, I think, um, where they're like, yeah, we can't even cover up for this shit show. We can try, but we can't really do it. And so they don't really have any good options. If you want my biggest conspiracy, if you want just, you know, me just doing my creative fan fiction, I can see a scenario where Biden resigns and says, uh, instead of going through this whole long process, you know, we've done everything that we can do, whatever. Biden resigns. We have a whole inaugurational fanfare for the first female African-American president. Instead of, you know, just, you know, LBJ on the plane, for instance, or or Gerald Ford in the back room. Um, They do a whole inauguration for her, and it's huge, and it's, you know, it's... Uh Tennessee Coates will be crying and Nicole Hannah-Jones will be in the background clapping and it'll be this whole thing. And then possibly she, she's in the job for a few months to a year to show she can do it. And then she she goes unopposed, uh, obviously through the primaries and she's, she's the nominee. Um, And so that's my wildest conspiracy. I think that's going to happen. I don't know. We've never been here. We've never had a president this old. Um, There's there's a chance Joe Biden could resign. There's a chance he could run again. And there's obviously a 40 percent chance that we're going to wake up one morning and find out he died in his sleep. And so um, the easiest thing is I see I see the party galvanizing around him. I agree with you that it, it's weird that it's not a certainty. Like it's not something that anyone thinks is a certainty that he's running again. And his actions have done nothing to dissuade that notion because he's Jesus. never asked the question. So now we're asking Edith Wilson Biden. what?
4: Yeah. So <laughs> last thing I'll say, and that, that would be a nightmare if he resigned and they let her run the country for even a minute. It wouldn't
0: be like a Just disgraceful a resignation. It would be like a handoff of power and everyone would yeah, say maybe. he did his he did his good deed and he got this country out of Trump and um, it, he, he did the honorable thing by just stepping down after he did the good thing and made way for a woman of color. Oh. It would be the
4: ultimate. It would, it would. And you know, that makes you think, oh, maybe. But the, the, just the last thing I'll say is, remember when the Democrats were pushing around the primaries and said, hey, we actually want South Carolina first. We all figured that was because they want to avoid a challenge to Biden. You know, South Carolina was this firewall. But remember, Kamala didn't even make it to Iowa. She did that. Yeah, badly. that's correct. And once is again, that, the, there's a the theory. Let run, there
0: is the theory that that's one of the reasons they want to move it to South Carolina is for Kamala. not yeah, Biden, because that's Jim Clyburn. And that's, you know, that's a congressional black caucus that. And once that, you know, Jim Clyburn has said, he, he will endorse only Biden or, or Harris. And you're right that Biden has no choice but to endorse her. But, and you're right that it, it is funny to, and that this isn't really raised enough. But yeah, if you if you bump South Carolina ahead of Iowa, New Hampshire, you almost basically give her the nomination where no real uh, challenger would really have a chance. Although if it is her, I think you do see Newsom get in the race. And I do think you might see Bernie get in again. Got that? And I've said it, I've said it that you probably see Marks Bay uh, jump in as well. And so if that happens, all bets are off because Kamala isn't going to beat those three. If we're going to have to deal with Trump versus DeSantis and all that shit, it's only fair
4: we get a crazy primary on the Democrat side. I mean, come on. We might. We don't want no We shit. might. But yeah, that's just, just putting it out there. It's just kind of weird. And Again, I'm still 75% chance Biden runs, but man, if, if, and if anything happens between now and his uh, planned announcement, I mean, the dude could literally tumble down the stairs, you know, break his back and resign. So like, he could never
0: know. He could die tonight. Like there is, I wasn't nobody say would be it, surprised. Like we, we would wake up tomorrow and Biden had a stroke in his sleep and he's gone and like half the country would go, oh, fucking of course he died. He's 137 years old in the most stressful job in the world. Of course that happened. So it could. And then and then we're going to get an, an, an inauguration of Kamala, no matter what. So Samuel, thank you. go ahead and jump on to Joe. Always fun to talk about this stuff. I don't know how much of it's realistic. primers usually go by the book. Um, just just so the conspiracists aren't clipping my words, uh, I think that Biden's running. I think the party's going to galvanize around him. Um Whether or not he wins, I think, depends completely upon who his opponent is. Joe, go ahead. Speaking of, of, you know, people in government with strokes that we have.
2: (laughs) Yeah. God knows how he's doing, but we know where his family is, and they're in Canada.
0: (laughs) Hey, get away from the scene of the crime as fast as possible.
2: Yeah, especially when that crime is eight feet tall and about 400 pounds, and... You know, it was a dangerous society if he hears loud noise. Can't
0: speak. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I have two two quick topics uh, tonight, Steve, and then I'll uh, turn it over to uh, the rest of the fine crew. Um, my first one is actually tangentially related to Fetterman, um, and it is uh, tying back to the, um, the Lab leak story. I mean, I, I think it's been the media's playbook for a while, but it's just been so out in the open, pretty much ever since Biden assumed office, with the one exception, I think, of the Afghanistan withdrawal, because there was no way of avoiding it where any story that comes out that paints Democrats in an unfavorable light or is a story that the main conclusion of it is, hey, maybe the folks on the right who you know i brought this up initially maybe they were right the media has had the exact same playbook with it which is if you even acknowledge it just say that it doesn't even matter anymore i mean at this point what difference does it make and that's kind of the way i'm seeing how they're all covering the lab leak
0: because yeah it's it's just it's a shrug it's time to move on it's it's not important how it happened it's just we make sure it doesn't happen again And they you're right that that's the playbook. They do it with everything, which is, you know, yeah, it was bad. But dwelling on it does us no good. And no, it does, actually. And we're going to subpoena all of you to talk about it.
2: Yeah, because because the last thing on earth that they want to do is admit that anybody on the right was correct about something. Um, I mean, and, and I think and it was Trump's election that I think really did you know, stoke them to be all on the same page. I mean, you basically, there's the joke that goes around every time that the media starts to converge on the same kind of narrative is that, oh, the DNC talking points have been sent out. But it's like, can you prove that they weren't? Because, I mean, where else are they all coming to this general consensus using the same exact verbiage at the same time, you know, when when it comes with, when it comes down to this stuff?
0: Yeah, and it's, it's, the cliche of when, you know, if it's a Democratic administration, they screw up or if the Democratic politician screws up, the Republicans uh, pouncing on it is always the story. The reaction is the story. When a Republican screws up, the Republican is the story. And so you're not going to see a lot of introspection on this story. They've just simply, again, moved on and said, hey, the whole reason we didn't think it was a lab legal, the whole reason we couldn't discuss the lab leak is because you suggested it was a bioweapon. And so that clouded, we see, I've seen that argument from several of them, from Dr. Vox to Jessica, or to uh, Jessica Valenti to several uh, you know, these, these Twitter epidemiologists that have been made famous through this pandemic or whatever, that it's, Hey, it's always, po- we always thought it was possible. We just couldn't talk about it because of you. And of course they never, and of course they never thought that, and so, there's obviously going to be more dominoes to fall here when it's the energy department, and then you have the head of the FBI. Um, there's going to be several more that are going to come out and say, Okay, yeah, it probably was. And then Fauci's going to be sitting there getting grilled, and someone's going to ask him, Do you still believe that this was not a gorge? And he's going to go, Yes, because he said that under oath already. And so, um, and, and I think Fauci's involved, and in I think a lot of this sticking by the Zoonotic origin obviously is political with him. It's because of the funding that went to this lab. Uh, there's, like I said, there's a timeline of circumstances that are very odd where two uh, epidemiologists said, you know, this looks, these, these protein spikes look manipulated. And um, then Fauci basically said, okay, thank you. And then went and got on a phone call with Peter Dotschick and they all kind of hit the alarm button as well with Francis Collins. And then that's when they all kind of said, we need to start quashing the lab leak timeline we need to start quashing this is exactly what they said in emails they said have you seen this the suggestion that this is possibly lab leak and francis collins is in an email saying we need to get in front of this so you know that they got you know collins fauci etc and the media was all in love with fauci they got on the horn to reporters and they said this is a conspiracy theory and it's discredited and the reporters went okay it's, it's discredited thank you as opposed to the reporters going why are you saying that and why are you putting on why are you putting pressure on me to suggest that and, and so that's just who journalists are. Now, you know, this idea that it's out there that this possibly could have been a purposely engineered bioweapon, not, you know, to be used in a war. But, you know, governments do this. Our DOD has done it. I wrote the piece on it where, you know, Fauci's on a transcript and he's like, oh, yeah, of course we're funding this. He <laughs> and governments do this. And do they do it for offensive weaponry? I don't know. Usually not. Saddam Hussein used sarin gas. Not that that's a virus, but it's chemical. And so, of course, governments do this kind of research. And of course, they do it with harmful intent, should they ever need to. Um, And so this very notion that we can't even broach this subject is the new lab leak theory. They just they haven't learned a fucking thing. It's because you're right. The political right cannot be right about anything. And that's where they've staked their claim and certainly not. Yeah, exactly. And, you
2: know, when certain stories come out after the fact, it's, hey, elections have consequences. And in Federman's case, even though they'll never come out and actually say it, well, he won, didn't he? So therefore, it doesn't matter. We got the end result that we wanted. We'll figure this out after the fact. But, hey, as long as we got the end result that we wanted, who gives a shit what comes out after that?
0: Yeah, um, the latest story on him is Democrats per Politico aren't panicking because they still have a 50 to 49 majority. So they don't really need him. And that's to me, even a little bit weirder that they're just like, all right, dude, just stay in the hospital. We don't fucking, you know, we don't really need you. We got the 50, 49. There's some procedural stuff that they would need him for. And I think that the next thing to come out, the next narrative to come out is that Fetterman should be allowed to vote by proxy an aid, which means like Adam Gentelson should be able to stand on the floor and cast the vote for Fetterman, which to me has always been the plan. Yeah, um, exactly. The other thing you're going to see is proxy voting in the Senate, which Fetterman should be allowed to stay at home in Braddock, never leave his hoodie, never leave his recliner, and he can just vote via Zoom. That's going to be the next thing you're going to see pushed. And that, of course, ruins, you know, 240 years of Senate decorum, which is obviously their point to do.
2: Yeah, hey, if, if if the rest of us were forced into it a couple of years ago <clears throat> by um, by China, then it's good enough for our most esteemed body. Um, and the the other point I wanted to bring up tonight, and then I'll uh, turn it over to everyone else, is can we please talk about Rolling Stones' response to Woody Harrelson on SNL? Because oh my God, it it, it was. I, I know that you've said um, uh, in the past that um, you've you spoke with Noah Shockman a few times, but it yeah. really does seem to it. It really does seem like he just
0: basically took the Daily Beast and moved it over to Rolling Stone. He, I mean, he Roll- hired, I mean, yeah, he hired several Daily Beast employees. Marlo, who was it? Marlo Stern, who wrote that piece, he used to be at the Daily Beast. He also brought over uh, Ashwin, um... Who I talk to, I think Ashman's funny. He's just a typical lib journalist. He doesn't hide anything about it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, my thing with and no, I haven't talked to Noah about the, the Saturday Night Live thing. I've openly slammed Rolling Stone, and uh, to his credit, he doesn't pull the Jake Tapper and really get in my mentions. Um, we, did t- he, we did have a conversation. I'm not going to go into details. Uh, well, Rolling Stone did the identity of Cat Turd. And they withheld his name or whatever. And I did have a brief discussion with him because uh, Noah knows that I've gone after Daily Beast in the past for this shit, like going after the forklift driver um, who is not, you know, he's just a dude who made a funny video on Facebook. There's no nothing newsworthy to who this guy is other than you're trying to ruin his life. And so we talked a little bit about, you know, he said, I thought, you know, when I was editing the cat turd piece, I thought long and hard about several of our conversations in the past about who was newsworthy, who isn't. And I think Cat Turd, you know, lives of TikTok and Cat Turd to me are a little bit different uh, because like Cat Turd's written a book, you know, he's this is someone who's, you know, trying to be Bansky where he's trying to, you know, keep anonymity while creating art and public stuff. I don't care who his identity is. That's that's the thing I kind of told him. As I said, I don't I don't I don't really care who Cat Turd is. I don't really care who lives of TikTok is. If it's important to you. Great. Um, But you're only going to make this person bigger. That's all. That's all that happens when you guys do this. So I guess if you want to give cat Turt another 2 million Twitter followers have at it. Um, I haven't talked to him about the Woody Harrelson thing, but it is interesting that um, I did. I did talk to him a a while back about um, what, what, who, who was the, who was the shit? Who was the female rapper with the balls joke about the, the vaccine? There's Nicki Minaj. Yeah. And, when she came out with that, I sent that link and I said, so are you guys never going to give Nicki Minaj another cover? Because I think that would be f- like funny. Like I'm fine with that. Cause I don't think Nicki Minaj has talent. Um, but she is one of those kind of pop rap stars that you put on your cover. She does have a big following and a big audience and it brings you, you know, when you put Nicki Minaj on your cover, it's going to bring you a lot of eyeballs. And so I thought it was funny. Cause it's like, when did, when did Rolling Stone, like they went after Eric Clapton, for instance, for like racist comments in the 70s. uh, Like Bill Burr said about John Wayne, of course that's what he fucking thought. That was, you know, 50 years ago. It's just a different time. You can't apply today's standards to things from 60 years ago, which is also part of the whole woke ideology thing. Um, But I find it funny that Rolling Stone basically takes this idea that that the most creative deviants among us are not allowed to have undeviant thoughts. So like Woody Harrelson is a like a 60 year old pot smoking hippie. Uh, he's a loyal lib. his pretty much his whole life. And you know he's more of a libertarian guy. Um, but he says one joke about Pfizer and he, his career has to be over. Um, you have, you know, pu- you, you see them going after like punk rock stars or musicians that just they don't think in a normal progressive political way. But now you have a media and especially a music media that says, no, you are going to fall in the line behind progressive dogmatic thought. And it's really led to an incredibly amount of shitty movies and music. Let me put it that way. One of the things I like to ask people, what was the music that came out of the Trump years? This was supposed to be, you know. Trump is supposed to be the biggest authoritarian we've ever seen. Um, If you talk about George W. Bush, you can name Green Day, you can name, you know, American Idiot, you can name the Dixie Chicks, you can go down the line and name all of these bands and these acts that, you know, were indefiant to George W. Bush, for instance. Well, when you come to Trump, I mean, there was what, Snoop Dogg shot him in a video and that was about it. Um, There was none of this great rebellion music, uh, considering how supposedly... Black Lives Matter and all of this stuff took over the culture, uh, the activist culture. And we didn't see any good art come out of any of it. And I would suggest that it's basically because of social media. Musicians and actors use social media now for that. They don't express it through their art. They don't express it through their performances. And I think that that has a lot to do to this kind of homogenous thing of what Rolling Stone has become, which is, you know, we're not, we're not going to interview you if we think you have impure thoughts, whatever those impure thoughts could be. Um, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna sit down and talk to, I don't know, like Dave Grohl, if Dave Grohl came out tomorrow and said, yeah, I just, I believe in biological sexes. That's it. Like, you're done, Dave Grohl. Um, He's not going to do that. Of course, I'm just trying to use an example. But it is, it's interesting that, you know, you have a punk rock, an institutional counterculture punk rock magazine. That's now demanding that all of the topics and and artists that they cover fall into dogmatic progressive thought or else we're not going to feature you. And that's, I mean, I was excited when Noah took over Rolling Stone because he genuinely cares about music. I've talked to him about bands and things like that. When he first took over, I told him more Mitski and less Taylor Swift, please. And down the road, he sent me that Rolling Stone did a digital cover for Mitski. And I was like, hey, there you go. Now put it on the real cover, you fucking coward. Um, and so he generally cares about music, but he cares. He's hes a progressive guy deep down. And he cares more about promoting progressive thought than he does original thought. And that's pretty. Yeah, I wonder, um, and, and this
2: will be my final thought related to that. I, I wonder if. Rolling Stone is not really doing as much about music anymore because of YouTube to a certain extent. And the reason what I mean by that is the exception to the rule was literally an, an article from Rolling Stone that popped up in my news feed um, a couple weeks ago. And um, if you if you have like 20 minutes and um, you should read it, it it's um, it's a deep, deep dive expose into how the band live broke up yeah yeah i read it pretty what was wasn't that like that was really engaging and that was really interesting i mean like i'm not the biggest fan of live but like you know i know their most popular songs but um and they
0: behind behind the music and music insiderism um and learning things that you just didn't learn about some of these bands um that's what they used to thrive on that kind of journalism but that doesn't that doesn't bring Clicks and eyeballs anymore. It's look at look at how progressive, look how progressive Harry Styles is now. Exactly. He's, he's, yeah, he's non-binary. He's great, and Harry Styles' music is complete shit. And if and, and
2: yeah, and, and that's and that's what I was going to say, which is if you want some of that deep dive exposé anymore behind the music or anything, you ju- you could just go to some amateur YouTuber's channel who you know, like basically history of rock or whatever on YouTube of someone who just. Literally just goes on Google and you know compiles all of it and puts it together in a video. It's like there you go. They, they, I guess they figure that you know well we can't really compete with this, so we're just going to go for the flashier stuff and the more you know dogmatic progressive
4: stuff.
0: So yeah, I mean Rolling Stone's always been political. That's not something that's I see people like on the right go. Remember New York Music Magazine? I'm like, oh no, they've been they've been political throughout their history. But it was usually like the back section. It was it was like one or two pieces about, you know, oil cleanup or whatever, killing ducks or some shit. Um, so when they put, you know, Al Gore on the cover or Barack Obama, that really wasn't anything that was out of the ordinary for them. Um, but you're right that, you know, it's like the politics. It's It's they merged the Daily Beast politics. They just they're going after musicians now. That's it. That's like their main focus is whenever a musician or an actor or a performer steps out of line, Uh, a progressive dogmatic thought, then that's, we're going to go cancel you and we're going to go take you down. And that's basically what they've become. And that's, yeah, that's the daily beastification uh, of Rolling Stone. And so whether it works, I don't know. You're probably right about the YouTube aspect, but if I'm, if I'm running Rolling Stone, I'm like, why aren't we doing YouTube videos? Why aren't you doing deep dives like on on this stuff? You know, instead of like, let's throw Greta Thunberg on the cover, uh, you know, sitting on a, giant tire fire or whatever. And, um, but that's just, that's where most media went. Most media became, you know, political media. You look at what AV club is now or verge or motherboard or even, you know, these tech outlets, they're all political now. And that's because they know that that's, that's how they can get people's blood riled up the most. And they know that that's how, that's who's that, that. Those are the people that are inclined to click, especially when you see it coming across your feed on social media. So, Um, Good luck. More power to them. Good luck.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well. Good talking with you, Stephen. Hope that knee heals up. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon.
0: Thanks, Joe. Uh, We should be able to get through everyone. Andrew. So we'll cut off at Matt.
5: Hey, Stephen. Um. Well, I was having a different topic, but when you were just talking about why something like Rolling Stone um, aren't doing these. YouTube videos, it kind of neatly ties back into things like binging with Babish and, you know, those comments you always see, like, from John Eckdahl, about yesterday on his thing about how he just has to go on to YouTube and find a channel with 12 people, um, with 12 subs who basically can tell him to, how to fix something.
0: Yeah, I, re- I, re- so I responded to John's thing because I had that same experience. So I lived in New York for 12 years and or downtown Brooklyn for 12 years. I never needed a car. Um, and so when I moved out of, you know, Williamsburg and Brooklyn and I moved, you know, to a more remote location, I needed, I needed to get a car. So I bought a car, uh, it was a, like a 2011 Ford Explorer, just something reliable and something I could beat up a little bit if I needed to. And, uh, I have a, you know, I have a, a unit, like a condo with a garage. It's very narrow. Uh, it's like, it's why I, I don't drive drunk because I'm going to miss it if I ever go out driving in it. And sure enough, one night I'm coming home and it's raining and I couldn't really see the, the mirror. Uh, I sidewall the side of the garage, completely just just straight down at, like, planes, trains, and automobile style. And I get out and I look and the whole... My back door is dented in and I just have a streak of, like, white paint down the car. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Um, I DMed photographs to Iowa Hawk blog because, obviously, he does great with cars. And I'm like how much is this going to run me? He goes, Oh, that looks like that's about three grand right there. Just for the dent, the bodywork, whatever. And I'm just like, fuck. So I just did exactly what John Actel was talking about, which is I go to YouTube and I'm like getting paint, how to get paint off of a car, you know, how to get like sidewall paint off of a car. It didn't scratch it. Unbelievably. It just, it, I took off like the paint of the wood and I chipped off the piece of the garage Um, didn't scratch the car. It was just a big dent. And so it's like, go get some goop off, water it down. So you're not fucking up the paint and just get a toothbrush and basically just do it. You know, it's going to take a while. And for the most part, I got every single scuff out. And now I had the dent and I found a YouTube video where it's like, go to Home Depot, buy a plunger, put hot water on the dent and then just stick it to the door and pull it out. And that's exactly what happened. And I learned, I, I, it cost me total 30 bucks at home depot to fix a dent in my car and to get the paint off the side of it. And so oh, just, just to give you my own story with that and my experience with that. Um, yeah. And you so, can I get the well, same with journalists. We don't need journalists, journalistic outlets. Yeah, so everyone, no, exactly. everyone.
5: Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, why would I get, uh, pay for a subscription to the New York times when I can watch somebody on YouTube for any number of things, I can go on and listen to entire documentaries about the conquest of Alexander the Great, or I could go watch somebody do stupid shit with, in Goat Simulator. You you have all of this entertainment, and I don't think the entire world's yet caught up to the fact that because all this free content exists out there, it's like you don't meet a lot of these old institutions. Well, to use Jonah Goldberg's stuff, they're candle makers. We don't need to... You might need a few of them, but a lot of these institutions are probably just running on on huffed steam, you know?
0: Come on. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I mean, the other part of it is they see, that, you know, one of the reasons they run hit pieces on Substack is because Substack is their is their competition. One of the reasons they are, you know, going after Elon Musk is because they took Twitter away from them. And now Twitter is their competition. And that's largely in part why you see them you know, go after like an outlet, like Substack and declare it's a, it's a haven of white supremacy. And people kind of go, what? No, it's not. Well, yes, it is because it hosts that person and that person and that person. And Oh, and Stephen Miller Miller's an anti-Semite now and it hosts them. And a large, a lot to do with that is because it's competition to them. The New York times views itself as a tech company. Now it doesn't view itself as a newspaper. So the New York times looks at someone like Joe Rogan and sees Joe Rogan in their way. Well, dial up a hit piece on Joe Rogan. and it...
6: Yeah, that that's just what, but it's not, but that was
5: what I'm just saying. It's like, you don't, you don't need them. So it's sort of like, and I think that creates this almost gap in institutions. But beyond that, uh, Stephen, from the, my other question is, how are you feeling about your uh, Colorado Avalanche? It looks like the West is pretty clear for them, but... As a Kings fan, the East just looks horrifying.
0: I, I like seeing all of these trades go East. <laughs> so I like seeing Patrick Kane go to the Rangers as opposed to the, you know, the Golden Knights, for example, um, which is where most of the trades are going. They're all going East. Um, if you're a Hurricanes fan, I would keep the faith. Hur- Carolina is my pit to come out of the East. Um, not by a lot, but um, if you look at how the series are falling right now, uh, it's like New Jersey and New York uh, it's Boston Islanders. So that's an easy out for Boston it's Carolina and who let me forget. And then it's Toronto and Tampa Bay. That's going to be a fun series. And then it's Carolina. And I think Buffalo. And that's an might- out for, that's an easy out for Carolina there. And so when you look at how the dominoes fall, I see Carolina and Boston in the, in the finals, And with the East, I mean, Colorado could go from anywhere from a wild card to a six seed to absolutely winning the West. And I think it depends on they I don't think if they don't get Landeskog back, I don't think that they probably are a cup finalist. But I do think that they're the number one team right now. Every fucking team in the West is angling not to have to play. Right. And again,
5: you're. But, again, that's just the problem of you guys paid the cup tax by losing Kadri last year, so that's just what happens.
0: Yeah, but they but, picked uh, up Rodriguez, who's done, you know, he's done some damage, and they're, they're not really suffering without Kadri. You have Rantanen, who just, he's the fastest Avalanche player to get to 40 goals in history, and when you think about Everyone the Avalanche have had throughout their history, Forsberg, Sackick, and uh, Kamensky, and Hayduke and those guys, none of them reached 40 goals this fast uh, in in a season. So Ranton's kind of picked up that slack. Um, I don't know. They either need, I think, you know, they need like a second-line center to step up or they need to go get someone, but I don't know who you give up. Um, I don't know if I would fuck with a team that's 7-0-1 heading into the trade deadline of the playoffs. So they, no. Just no. Need to get, they just need to get healthy, and I think they're yeah. fine. And Georgiev looks to be the steal of the off season. And, I mean, that's he's the hottest goaltender in the league. He's top five in goals against. And so as long as Georgiev stays hot, I mean, no team wants to, to open the playoffs against them. Even if it's the Knights or the Stars or the first seed, nobody wants to start with them. Ever. And they're no. like all angling.
5: I wouldn't want to either, but I, I'd feel more confident as a Kings fan patch Pacioretty hadn't got torn his ACL again. So, but well, that you, uh, thanks for talking hockey. Have a great rest thanks, of the
0: Andrew.
6: night. Thanks, Andrew. Go up there, I'll
0: bump Kerfuffle up. Take it away, Kerfuffle. Let's see what she's cooking for us tonight. Now, guaranteed, she's cooking something.
7: I'm not what cooking. You,
0: what are you making? What are you baking? I'm
7: not. I'm I'm cleaning out my files.
0: Oh, okay. So no, so we're all going to starve then tonight?
7: Okay, I'm going to make chicken. Okay. It's in the fridge, though. Um, okay, so the thing I wanted to bring up, I, I'm a little cautious because I don't feel expert enough to discuss it. So if someone else knows more, they're, like, welcome to go. <laughs> I but, love
0: I love hearing that, by the way.
7: OK, good. Um, the difference between the Democrats attitude toward the American Supreme Court and which is like illegitimate and it needs to be like reform and all this stuff. And then a complete flip in their attitude toward the Israeli Supreme Court, which is like, you know, holy and must not be touched. And how dare you? And actually, the Israeli judiciary has been like wildly out of pocket for like 20 some years and is way overdue for it's in the way of democracy. But all the people who are protesting, if you've noticed the Israeli Labor Party and the Merits Party, like the whole Israeli left has basically collapsed so that even like the previous government that was supposedly like center left is like what. 20 years ago, would have been right. Um, The Israeli left is dead completely. And the reason for it is that there's no corruption in Israeli elections. They're paper ballots. They're counted by hand. They're witnessed by members of all the other parties. And they're counted in the precinct before the ballot box is moved with witnesses from like everybody. It's impossible to cheat. And also, it would be like wildly offensive to cheat. So yeah, there's um, a few.
0: I I haven't paid a ton of attention. I know what you're talking about the Supreme Court because there's there's a few articles out in outlets, and I don't know if it's Washington Post or New York Times, but it's one of them that's saying you know, Israel is sliding with Netanyahu back in there into uh, single man authoritarianism, obviously, and then yeah,
7: nonsense
0: shootings this weekend and things like that. Um, and Every so time that's,
7: Netanyahu, that's, Netanyahu that's wins? That's what I've
0: seen Like recently where they're just like, oh, Netanyahu, Netanyahu's erasing the Israeli government and he's moving towards an autocracy. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, it's New York Times writing it, so whatever, but that's all I've really seen.
7: Okay, the last time they did it, when I was in Israel in the 90s and I voted there, there was briefly a system where they said instead of one vote for a party, you'll get one, you'll get two votes. You'll get one vote for a prime minister and another vote for a party. And in that way, you'll be able to vote for a small party without giving up your choice for prime minister. And so uh, my ex and I voted for different people for prime minister, but we both voted for the same small party, for example, which was called third way, which did surprisingly well They were we were hoping for two seats. We got four seats out of 120, which was a big deal. And we ended up getting Minister of Tourism, which was very nice. Um, I I was active in the party. And so, um, you know, they said, oh, you know, Netanyahu was able to rig the system. And so in order to block Netanyahu, we need to switch back to the old system of only one vote. So every time Netanyahu wins, there's a reason that he's a fascist and we need to change something. Because obviously the rules are are all wrong. Because if the rules weren't wrong, Netanyahu wouldn't win. And it happens every time. So the fact is that most Israelis prefer him. Um, I don't think the Likud party, I don't think much of it, but it's become very corrupt. And I say that as somebody who was a member and active and stuff like that. But I mean, it's become like, you know, a dinosaur in a lot of ways but because there's only one vote, they keep winning because Netanyahu is like the least terrible prime minister. So now the whole thing, you'll see there's a lot of people out in the street marching. Well, it's a lot of people for a march, but the fact is they're all from North Tel Aviv, which is sort of Upper West Side Manhattan. And they're all um, from the parties that have barely any votes. So you can say, oh, wow, it looks like a lot of people. It's 200,000 people. And you're like, yeah, but out of a whole country of, like, 8 million people, those are the 200,000 people who are still voting for labor and merits, which is nobody. That's, you know, so it's it looks bigger than it is. And the other thing is Samantha Power and different Americans are spending an enormous amount of money sending NGOs money to run these things. And, you know, you saw, for example, this ridiculous scene of the women dressed like the... Um, what are the red outfits from the TV show?
0: Oh, handmaids. Did we, right. Did we so export, a bunch did of idiot we women. Handmaids drink. to Israel.
7: Yeah, and it's <laughs> like it has nothing to do with Israeli culture. I don't even know how many Israelis watched the you know TV show or read the books. So I think a lot of Israelis were like, "Why are why are there a hundred little Red Riding Hoods walking around?" And, you know, it was one of these really just absolutely imported. It, it was like importing BLM to France. It was that ridiculous. It was more so ridiculous.
0: I so I looked this up real fast. It says, uh, uh, woman, I just want to make sure, feminist, geek, activist, techie, CMO, of course, Tal Saragavram says over 200 handmaids marched in six cities in Israel today, reminding 250,000 Israelis, how bad it can be when the guardians of women's rights are gone as planned within the judicial reform. Yeah, go- it's
7: nonsense. It's nonsense. Israel has much better women's protections in many ways than America does, because Israel has better uh, mother's protections and maternity leave and all the things to do with being a working mother. Like it's very common, for example, in Israel that most of the prosecutors are women and most of the defense attorneys are men because prosecutors work nine to three and defense attorneys work like eight to six.
0: This sounds like for foreign intervention in a nation's election.
7: It's absolutely it's you know, it's what Jack Posobiec would call a color revolution. It's they're attempting to do it. And if you recall, they tried to do it back in the 90s when James Carville and a bunch of people went and, um, you know, volunteered for the Barack, um, Ehud Barack campaign. Do you remember this? Yeah.
0: Jim Messina, who ran, uh, Jim Messina, who was one of Obama's lead campaign guys, went and he, I I actually think he was the lead campaign advisor uh, for the opposition party against Netanyahu.
7: Okay. So the same thing is happening now in a different way with the NGOs. And these NGOs are really problematic. I don't even like the word problematic, but they're really problematic because they, um, they get people killed in Israel here. They're like annoying there. They get people killed because they foment the kinds of problems between Israelis and Palestinians that end up with violence. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're doing like a lot like this Ukrainian orange revolution. They're trying to do that again in Israel. It's not going to work. Um, if it does work, God help us all. Um, but they're they're really interfering, and in a time, by the way, where Joe Biden is wildly unpopular in Israel, even among like everybody down to maybe a narrow part of the left, um, Trump was was people liked Trump there. They didn't like Obama. They did like Trump. Uh, they they were shocked how much they liked Trump, but they liked. Well, of Trump. course, they didn't like Obama. And He's Muslim. That, that wasn't why there's you know there's there's Muslims in every part of israel there's half your doctors are Muslim um a big part I, of the I'm, judiciary I'm kidding, is muslim mother. okay i I'm just saying because a lot of people don't know like a lot of generals are Muslim um you know all the way up in the military there are muslims um it, it, there's there's a lot of myths about Israel in America that like to people who don't understand the country and where the real divisions lie. And unfortunately, one thing I've said before here is that in Israel, the left hates the opposition more, like they hate the right more than they hate the enemy. And that is happening again. And they, there's like nothing they won't, you know, if it was the story of Solomon, you remember the, the woman that said, don't cut the kid in half. And the other one that said, do cut the kid in half. Like the left in Israel is the one that says, go ahead and cut the kid in half, because all they care about is that the other woman doesn't get a whole kid.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a joke I said to Katie Pavlich today, why, you know, the Democratic Party is still out here sort of ushering caution on the CCP after this Department of Energy report, where you see people like Colbert of The Daily Show just still defending this. And Katie Pavlich is like, why are they doing this? And I said, well, it's because it's Republicans bad and China good. And it
7: really 100%. Good. And it's Republicans bad and whoever is not the Republicans, you know, even if they're our enemy, is like not Republican, therefore good. 100%. And, it, yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So the, what's going on in Israel is that, you know, they're acting like – the American Democrats and their people in Israel are acting like, you know, the the sacred independence of the Supreme Court is being violated. No, the Supreme Court's been wildly overreaching and basically stepping in, even the attorney general has been able to veto things that the Knesset votes in or that the prime minister uh, makes an executive whatever and says, no, I don't think so. You know, I don't think, and there's no... um, constitution in Israel. There's a Declaration of Independence, but they never had a constitution. They only have what they call the basic laws, which are sort of de facto, uh, you know, the the Ten Amendments, but kind of, but not really. And they're not as strong as actually having a constitution. And so then they say, well, we decide what's reasonable and we don't think this law is reasonable. So we're vetoing the law. And so, you know, with judicial review, it's gotten wildly over. And the other thing they've been doing is whenever somebody tries to do uh, reform, they charge them falsely with corruption. And so, you know, it takes years and years and years to get the specter of corruption off you because the process is the punishment, but you're sidelined for, you know, three to five years. And this happened to a great many, you know, it happened to Netanyahu as well. I don't know if you know the details of what he's been accused of, but it's things like accepting cigars as a gift. It's not like real graft. It's like not even anywhere near. It's not 1% of what Joe Biden's been accused. It's not even 0.1 of 1% of what Joe Biden's been accused of. And yes, his wife is obnoxious. Yes, they spend too much on takeout when they're supposed to eat whatever the chef makes there at the um, president's house or the, uh, the prime minister's house. You know, and instead they prefer to get takeout from fancy restaurants and things like this. And she spends too much getting her hair done. But I mean, if you saw the numbers they're talking about, they're like pennies on the dollar compared to the corruption in this country. So it's it's like silly. It's like, let her have her hair done. Who cares? Let them get takeout from a fancy restaurant. Who cares? I mean, it's like so minor. Um, but, you know, so people are like he's got he's you know, he's under the cloud of suspicion of corruption. That's the corruption he's been accused of. And, and I say this. When the fact is he had a very corrupt um, chief of staff who was, when I was here in the U.S. doing a certain volunteer thing, you know, was spending the money that he was supposed to be spending on our efforts instead on his own flights and, and stuff for his own business and basically using the American Friends of Likud checkbook as his own personal checkbook. And so yeah, he's going to prison and he's been trying to make a deal. I don't know if he's already went to prison or what the story is. I lost track. But he's he's, you know, a corrupt little turd. And Netanyahu has very bad taste in people and so unfortunately he chose this, you know, terrible guy to be his chief of staff because the, Netanyahu likes to be flattered. He's 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 brilliant. And he's terrible with people like he's so shockingly terrible with people. You wouldn't believe it because it, to meet him, he's a very, you know, charming guy, but he's terrible with people. He can't judge them. He's he's almost autistic on that level. He can't judge people for their, um, you know, if they're honest, like when he's speaking. Well, to the anti-Semite account kind of
0: gonna cl- is going to crop us calling Netanyahu, uh, Uh, autistic and me calling obama muslim so that's what we've done tonight that's the damage we've done well
7: i congratulate you and and you're not you're not (laughs) anti-semic but you are like literally Judeophobic, and i just want to have that on the record
0: (laughs) how am i Judeophobic?
7: because you kept having call in after shabbat comes in
0: okay all right fair enough
7: so enough. Yeah. Anyway, that's the story. Basically, is that this this ridiculousness with the Democrats saying, you know, on the one hand, you know, the Israeli Supreme Court is sacred and on the other, the American Supreme Court, you know, is a disaster. And it's it's ridiculous. They're like,
0: yeah, it's it's so performative to the point now where, you know, they said appointing. Appointing someone to, go to Scalia's seat after the election is that's packing the court, and now it's you can't you can't see Amy Coney Barrett. That's the end of the country. And well, uh, and you know, yeah, I, and, I the, and the and the important thing from- I
7: forgot to mention is that the problem with the Israeli Supreme Court as it exists today is unlike in America, where Congress gets to where the president appoints the Supreme Court justice, and then Congress gets to say yes or nay, no uh, to confirm or not confirm. In Israel, the Supreme Court gets to choose its own judges, and they're in charge of choosing like all the people below them, and there's no check or balance from the, from the legislative branch. And that's what they're trying to correct, is to say, no, the legislative branch is who needs to choose the Supreme Court justices. And they're like, oh, that's terrible. No, it's exactly like America.
0: Division of power is a wonderful thing.
7: Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the thing, though, is that the last bastion of the Labor Party, which used to own um, the Israeli government, soup to nuts, they're still left in the administrative state, but a lot of them are retiring out. And so increasingly, the hiring is getting less unfair and less, you know, friends and family and a little more, you know, a fairer distribution of who gets hired into the civil service. But then the other thing is that the judiciary still remains a bastion of this very sort of far left and not just far left, but a very elite cadre of these North Tel Aviv people who think that the country should be theirs to decide how to run. And the people in the rest of the country are like, no, it's everybody's country and we're all going to run it. It's really that simple.
0: People in the comments are saying you've taught everyone a lot about Israel tonight, which is good. Um, Because, like I said, if
7: I I I, I I I may have taught incorrect things,
0: myself this past week.
7: Okay. I I hope I didn't say anything too terribly bad. And there's probably some other um, Jewish Americans in the sub stack are going to say she got thus and such wrong. So it's okay if I did.
0: Probably. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Kerfuffle. Okay. Take care. on my wayward ways. I am set now. Jacqueline, how are you?
6: <laughs> I'm doing good. Well, not completely good because the Lightning are getting their ass kicked 3 to 1 by the Panthers. So after you start having Lightning or hockey talk, I had to And those Panthers are no longer, say something about those that.
0: Panthers are no longer a playoff team, so that's not good.
6: Yeah, that's my point. But um I like everything you talked about with the whole Wuhan lab thing, you guys have pretty much already talked about. Um, I just wanted to talk about two different things. The I don't know if you saw the DeSantis the ad he released like a day or two ago that was like a kind of it, it was a non, it non-announcement. It was
0: a non-campaign launch video. Yeah. No, yeah.
6: Yeah. Because yeah, it was it was an announcement, but not technically an announcement because once you do that, then certain restrictions happen. But it was obviously an announcement video, and so I was like, so he's definitely announcing in a couple months. Yeah, it's, there's a
0: as, there's a coordinated rollout. I think I think it had more to do with his book. Um, this keep Florida free or Florida's free or whatever. And it's, you know, snippets of his inauguration and speeches he's given. And then, of course, he has a book coming out. And uh, Nikki Freed tried to review bomb that. But um, Eric Nelson, who is a literary agent that if you've seen I followed on Twitter and whatever, I need to find his tweet. Um, this is something that's really going to just piss Trump off. Like there's things that I've seen DeSantis do that are really going to piss Trump off. And none of it has to do with any policy. Uh, just DeSantis posing with Tiger Woods is going to drive Trump off the deep end. When I guess Tiger was at a uh, golf tournament or whatever, and DeSantis was there and he's sitting there posing with Tiger. That's going to, that's the shit that drives Trump crazy. Here's another one. This is for Eric Nelson, uh, at literary book, editorial libertarian. Um, Ron DeSantis's book may have the biggest first week of sales for any book by a sitting politician or presidential hopeful. It's going to be bigger than the first week of sales for Ben Carson, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and maybe even Barack Obama. Anyone else I should look up. Um, and this guy who knows the industry. I and mean, I don't know. I don't think the Santa's book is on his. Um, it is HarperCollins, which is a News Corp, public company, chairman, Rupert Murdoch, whatever. Um, so it's going to have a heavy backing behind it. But. If his book outsells Trump's, like what was his Trump's book came out in 2016, Crippled America or whatever, and then he changed it because it wasn't PC. They were like, you got to get rid of the crippled word, sir. Um, that's something, again, that's going to piss Trump off is if DeSantis's book outsells his. That's this is still the people don't understand the debate between Trump and DeSantis. It's not so much wokeness and policy and covid and that, that'll come. But it's all of these kinds of optics that Trump sees when Trump hears that uh, certain donors are visiting him in Palm Beach that were used to be behind him. That's the shit that's going to piss Trump off. And DeSantis posing with Tiger Woods is going to piss him off. And Trump's book or Desantis's book outselling his is going to.
6: Yeah, and then this the last thing I was gonna say was, um, your conversation with Ms. Kerfuffle was interesting, and she did explain a lot of the stuff about um, Israeli politics. And I follow a few Israelis on Twitter, and they tell me about stuff. So it was interesting to hear her explain stuff. And um, I just wanted to know how you feel about being an anti-Semite.
0: <laughs> it's a new it's a new area for me. I'm, you know, kind of the uh, the thin stash like uh, Nick Fuentes. I was thinking about endorsing Kanye um, and uh, just doing that. I was going to the next time I show up on Fox, I'm going to show up with a big puffy jacket and a black mask over my face. So um, it's, it's a new and exciting thing. One reason I'm not really worried about. That is just because throughout my history, I mean, people know that I'm not an anti-Semite, but an account like that can do real damage. An account where they're putting me on blast. And then there was another account that was like tagging Marjorie Taylor Greene and Dan Crenshaw and whatever. And they had a few hundred thousand followers and uh, Lara Hakov came in and she's great. Um, I've known her for years and she's like, I'm pretty sure he was joking and then he's like, well, I didn't know this account. And I'm like, well, there's your problem. And so that's that to me is why that accusation at least had to be put down is because when I had a couple of people like, what the fuck's wrong with you? It's generally like, I don't care. Like, I don't care if you're offended by my tweets, go somewhere else. Um, but like when the Holocaust Museum <laughs> decides to jump in the fight or something, you know, and everyone remembers the Kurt Schlichter fallout with that. I'm just like, no, I'm going to be careful with this. And so I ignored it. And then it got bigger. And I saw people who know me retweeting it. And there's a reason why they use the screenshot and not the link is because people in the replies got the joke. They were like, you know, I'm reserving my holiday of hate for people who back their cars in parking lots backwards and things like that, which is what everybody knew the intention was. And uh, they said to me, you know, I said, there's a reason why you didn't use the link instead of use a screenshot. And he said, well, in the past, we've gotten people to delete those tweets. I'm like, this ain't the past. And I don't delete Twitter, Joe. You can argue it's (laughs) in such cases of that. um, But no, uh, I I don't cave to that kind of pressure. And I don't care if it's from like the Stop Anti-Semites account. So um, I had enough people who were allies who jumped in and told them, and they still didn't, like, delete. They still kept it going. And that's when I kind of told them, I'm going to just go nuclear on you if you don't stop this, like, now. I'm, gonna, I'm going to shut this down uh, because that's a serious accusation. And so um, I'm not going to have that one, like, coming up on my resume.
6: Oh, I completely understood the joke, and I completely understand why you got pissed off about it. But it was just kind of funny how they didn't back down. Um, but yeah, I'll go ahead and let you go to Matt and finish up for the rest of the night, so you can get your beauty sleep and rest your knee. <laughs> and um... yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an early <laughs>
0: night tonight. And I'm just um, I didn't there was no doubt like they they went in there and they they checked it and everything and they're like no it doesn't look like and I've I've had a sprained knee is when I picked up. Hockey about five years ago. Again, Uh, I played it for pretty much age five till seventeen, and then I just stopped playing it. And then a few years ago, I'm like, I just need to. I need an activity, and I'm like, fuck it. I have the dough, so I just went and I bought a whole new shit load of hockey gear. And my first drop in game, uh, back, my skate hit a rut, and I thought I heard a pop in my knee, and I was just like, oh fuck. And so I sprained, I sprained my MCL that time. I had to sit, so I was off my skates for six weeks to let it heal. And so I missed a whole season uh, of my first season. And, though, and so I didn't have anything like that happen last night. Basically, what happened is um, I play defense and I don't usually rush, although I will say since I've been training since August, I've been doing you know high-intensity high interval training. I now, have the, I now have the stamina and I'm thinner and I'm faster, so I actually like doing it now. And so I just kind of, we were down three to nothing and I kind of got tired of it, so I just rushed it up and their defenseman fell down. So I had a pretty clear path to the net and I just cut right in front of the goalie and I did a backhand five hole. And so later on in the third period, uh, I had another rush and I went kind of around their D-man instead of, I was going to go behind the net with it. And their goalie came out of the crease and pulled a Craig Bennington and just like threw his arms into my chest and my face. And I ended up colliding into the net and like sliding behind the net. They called a penalty as a misconduct. And I got up and I felt fine. And then as I was kind of walking out of the rink, I was like, Oh, there's there's something not moving right. And so I thought I'd just twist it or sleep it off. And then yeah, I woke up today and I was like, nope, I need to go get that look. But they just they they just examined it. It's a little swollen and it's just a twist. So it's a good news. I'm not skating for a week. So we'll see. I, th- I should be okay. Um, probably like an Epsom soaker. I'll just like use of hell and I should be okay. So. All right. So Thanks Jacqueline. Good.
6: Hope you feel better Cheers. soon and, and, uh, can enjoy your good game. All right.
0: Thanks Jacqueline. Uh, we'll wrap, we'll wrap up with Matt. This has been a good. Matt, go ahead. Hey, Steve. I know it's getting late, so
8: I'll, I'll be quick. But um, back to the uh, Wuhan stuff, um, you know, between the, uh, the, the spy balloons and I don't know if you saw this uh, China's response with this lady who just comes out and just calls America a bunch of jerk offs for talking about it. But, um, you know, I'm just as a thought exercise, I'm just wondering like your thoughts on like at what point? Does all this, uh, you know, China um, and I hate to sound like a China, like anti-China guy, like I, it's not who I am, but like at what point does the whole public tide start to get serious about like calling these people out for being, you know, just,
0: you know, just Well, terrible. I mean, our, our media is, you know, obviously quick to say, if you, if you blame China for this, that at home that's going to result in xenophobia and attacks against Chinese nationals and and people who are Asian and whatever. And we really haven't seen like a tide of violence against Asian Americans or Asians, immigrants here in this, in this country that coalesces with that pandemic. Now, the other problem with that argument is you the people who talk to us about equity and, um, you know, that kind of platform that we're seeing, they don't want to have the discussion about who is committing these attacks in cities like San Francisco and New York City in particular. That's where, the, again, the debate stops um, is because they they want to make it about race. They want to make it about skin color. They want to make it about nationality unless it's inconvenient to do so. And that's how, you know, they're kind of cowards when it comes to this stuff. As far as uh, and they did this, of course, every time there's a terror attack, it's, you know, we can't broadcast it, we can't report on it accurately because uh, Americans are hateful racists and it's going to lead to waves of violence against Muslims and Muslims American. And that never really happens. That all stemmed with a few incidences after 9-11 is where that kind of came from. So where, I mean, where it comes from as far as the CCP is you just, you have to separate from them and i mean donald trump i think came out today and he says he wants to phase out all chinese imports over the course of four years okay well i've i've said we need to cut them off we need to you need to isolate them from the world similar to what we've done with russia the problem is is you have media companies with millions if not billions of dollars tied up into the chinese markets because of their populace that includes you know media conglomerates like cnn disney for example And so they just see dollar signs and they see tons and tons of dollar signs as far as the Chinese populace. And so you have to be brave enough to want to cut them off. And I don't think we have that. I think China's gotten to a point, maybe culturally, where they're not as influential. Um, You know, we saw that with Maverick, where Maverick had the Taiwan patch on his jacket. Then they took it off in the trailer because they wanted Maverick to open wide release in China. And then um, China, like, made demands of Maverick on the set or whatever, as, just like they've done with Marvel. And Cruise and Company basically told them to go fuck themselves. And they put the Taiwan patch back on the jacket. And I, I told people when that trailer came out, I'm like, I'm not seeing Maverick in the theater if that if they don't change that. And people were like, really? I'm like, yes. That's that's kind of the decision you have right. to make. So as far as, like, when is enough enough, you know, the spy balloon, I think, woke some people up. Because that's something you could see. That was something that was tangible. And it wasn't like a virus that you think might have come from, you know, a a pangolin's rectum, for example. And so that's one of those things where it's like, why do we have a spy balloon over our country? Hey, where's our president? And then he's (laughs) taking a victory lap after shooting it down in the ocean after it's crossed the whole continent of the United States. And so those are things where it's kind of like. It's something that people see. I think Tom Rogan at the Washington Examiner, full, full admittance is one of my editors. I think he was the one to say that, where it's like, this is something like the Biden administration can't really hide from. It was the top story for eight days, and Biden was nowhere to be found. And so where it, it starts with media and culture have to say enough is enough. Uh, someone who's very good at that, to his credit, is Josh Rogan, The Washington Post. Um, he re-upped a post that he wrote and said, uh, the Biden administration confirmed the Wuhan Institute of Biology had, collabor- had collaborated on publications and secret projects with China's military and that researchers there got sick with COVID-like symptoms in November of 2019. Well, that's a pretty credible guy who's written a book on China in the U.S., which you should read. It's very good. Um, basically suggesting, yeah, they do they do bioweapons work here. So you know, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that this was something they were working on for whatever reason. And, you know, all of a sudden a vial breaks and the janitor limps home or whatever. So when enough is enough, and it's not, the media is dependent on you and me and making it sound like we're anti-Chinese people. And that's not what this is. This is anti-human rights. It's uh, not anti-human rights, but it's just, we're we're against human rights violations in Xinjiang with the Uyghur camps that the media doesn't seem to care about. We're against profiteering off of that kind of labor, and um, we're obviously this authoritarian. They are a, they are a communist state, and so yeah, we're against that as well. And so that's generally what it comes down to. So I guess to, to t- turn the tide, the media has to be less communist sympathetic, and that's not going to.
8: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think about like all this Taiwan talk and I mean, I don't think China invading Taiwan would result in a uh, strong response from the U.S. I just feel like it's just going to be our government
0: officials just kind of wagging their finger and saying, you know, bad dog. Um, I mean, Biden has said, you know, that's we will defend Taiwan. Okay, how do you plan to do that? Because this is this is what you're them. seeing with yeah. the saber rattling with Ukraine, China supporting Russia, you know, with with arms and its own money and its own funding. It isn't has anything much to do with China has investment in Ukraine. Although I would argue they do, um, it has to do with checking the world's response about Taiwan. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm not hopeful of that either. That if China just decided to invade Taiwan, and I don't think Biden and Blinken are much is going to do much about it because Joe Biden is owned subsidiary of the CCP <laughs> it's just a
8: yeah it's pretty sad but um, you know yeah it's just as a thought exercise I was curious like like what would it take to actually like start getting serious and like you know
0: that's <laughs> about this it would take it would take it would economic yeah. sanctions um, yeah. it would take Hollywood in particular and the NBA and sports leagues to cut them off completely. That would be yeah. a good start. Decoupling, right? Yeah, that's what it would have to be. And, it would, and then you would also have to reduce trade. The problem is, is we rely on so much shit from China to where it would wreck our economy if we just cut them off wholesale. And they know this. They absolutely 100%. And yeah, nobody's. Uh, start, you know, start building, building shit in them. America again and make it cheap. That's that's yeah. how you cut off from China.
8: Yeah, it's a fun thing to think about, but we're coming up on two hours. Like I said, I didn't want to hold you on too long, but uh, appreciate the call. Thanks, Matt.
0: Thanks for being patient back there. All right. Take care. This was a fun one, a little bit longer than usual, but that's all right. It's been episode 89, plugging the leak uh, on the Wuhan Institute, and then also some fun chat about the Israeli government and um, Joe Biden possibly running again. So thanks again to my callers. It was a good one. Uh, thanks again for you guys for listening here on a Tuesday night. 69 of you are still here. Nice. And, uh, I will be back on, I will show up for work tomorrow. I will be back on Substack unless I wake up and my, my leg is bleeding and gushing blood. Um, which who knows at this point? Who knows? Uh, I'm Stephen L. Miller. This is versus me live on Colin. And like I said, uh, I will be on Substack tomorrow. If you're a subscriber over there, feel free to leave comments, questions, and, uh, I'll get around to those also. I'm going to talk more about, uh, the Wuhan report